0: Hey everybody, and welcome to episode number 63 of the Pink Bike Podcast, where we'll be talking about some of the best, or maybe it's worst, bike buying mistakes. I'm Mike Levy, your host for these things, and it's probably fair to say that I'm the kind of guy who thinks with his heart more than his brain when it comes to buying stuff. And it's probably also fair to say that my intern, Mike Casimir, he's more of a brain guy than a heart guy. Which is why we'll probably never own the same anything, right, Kaz? Yeah, that's very true. You can look at our vehicles. You've got the Mini. I have a van. I think it's very practical of you, Kaz. Yeah. Think of all the things you can put in it. (laughs) Yours can't even hold a bike rack. (laughs) Mine can't even hold a bike. Even with wheels off, I can't put it in because of the roll cage. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Kaz, I'm curious. What's the last thing you bought, not bike-related, that didn't make any sense?
1: Like portable ham radios off of Amazon because my buddy said they were cool, but you need a license to use them. (laughs) I think I might've talked about this before. I don't know if I said it for real on the podcast, but we got, yeah, we got grandpa Casimir over here. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And then it turned out because of COVID, there's no like ham radio licenses
0: available. So I just have like, wait, are there ham radio police? How do you, like, I assume you're in your basement using this and no one could see you like who can find find you? you.
1: They use like triangulation or something like the FCC comes and knocks on your door and uh, yes, yeah, so that didn't make any sense. It wasn't very expensive. I don't know why I bought it. Was it because, well, that's why I bought it. Cause it wasn't very expensive. And when I was little, I wanted a ham radio. Cause I was, felt like I was born in the 1950s. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. One of these days I'll figure out how they even work. They're confusing. Right. I can so listen to cops on them, I guess.
0: We've also got James Smirth right here. James is going to read the news, but first, James, what's the one dumbest non-bike related thing that you've bought recently that comes to mind?
2: Um, one that comes to mind is, um, I got a really good deal on some flights to Oslo. They were like 20 quid or something. I was like, brilliant. I'll go to Oslo for a weekend, be a really cheap weekend. Um, I'll have a great time and I'll come home and it will be great. Um, but Oslo is like the most expensive city in Europe, certainly. And I think I ended up spending like 600 quid over three days. I was trying to save money on these flights. So yeah, that was an absolute waste of money and time, but
0: that sounds like a
3: misleading trip. I'm just blown away that somebody from London is upset about somewhere
2: else being expensive. Like, but, that scared like me. Like, eight, eight quid a pint or something? Like, oh, terrible. I don't know what that much means. So eight pounds, I don't know, it was like, 15 <laughs> Canadian yeah, $15. dollars, something like that.
0: That is a dumb purchase, I agree. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Black Metal Museum was free, though. That was an absolute highlight. Uh, that sounds cool.
0: <laughs> and... As usual, we have Brian Park here, who's going to keep us on topic. He's also going to tell us what the dumbest thing he's bought. Brian, I don't picture you buying dumb things. Uh, I buy some dumb things.
3: Like I like the printer. No, my three printers not a, <laughs> the smartest. <laughs> I think it's ever. smart. <laughs> it's so good. Um, I bought. I bought the TW two hundred. I think that counts as a dumb purchase.
0: Um, I think that was a very smart purchase because you could have bought any motorbike, but you bought the motorbike that made sense.
1: Yeah. You could have bought a Kawasaki Ninja from like
0: 2002 and... old like... Brian on an old Hayabusa on the Sea <laughs> Sky Highway. Just <laughs> hanging on for dear life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, it does make me very happy, so it's not that stupid. Um, I bought, I feel in hindsight, really stupid. We bought... Uh, when we had our son, we bought, like, a bunch of fancy, expensive, like, car seats, and then immediately had a global pandemic, and then used it w- literally, like, once, because we there was nowhere to go. <laughs> Those things are to do expensive, it- too. Yeah. Yeah, it was like five hundred bucks, six hundred bucks for a car Whoa. seat.
0: I know, I know. Dude, Dude, Does he have airbags? car some seat? Some phone books.
3: <laughs> Are you kidding me? You asked My. about a stupid purchase. <laughs> yeah, that
0: sounds. Dumb. That's crazy.
3: And, and like the way that they get you is it must be so easy compared to marketing mountain bikes for for children's things. Like basically all of the marketing is like,
0: if you don't buy this, you don't love your child. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That explains why I was sitting on phone books growing up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm making I'm making fun of your expensive car seat, but I did buy a full on like hunting compound bow off of Craigslist, having never shot a bow before. How recently was this? Oh, I don't know. It was like uh, the last time I was angry at bikes and was taking a break, <laughs> I bought a compound bow. <laughs> You've just been watching that
1: alone show and getting ready to just go in the woods.
0: <laughs> Dude, that's exactly what happened. We were watching that, the, the season where that guy Jordan won and they were up in Alaska and he like kills uh-huh. a Wolverine with a hatchet or something. Yeah. Like I need a compound bow. I got to get this. I got to prepare, you know, I got to be able to supply my family f- with food, but I haven't used it yet. I would
3: like to ask a question, Louie, when was the last time you made a sensible purchase? I mean, I buy groceries and stuff. And... Yeah, it doesn't count. Like sensible, but hobbyish per
0: purchase. Uh, geez, I don't know. I it's uh.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think we can move on from this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got a lot to
0: talk about later. <laughs> All right, James is going to read the news. But first, everybody, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five out of five UFO rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. James, tell us what happened in the bike world over the last week.
2: Thanks, Mike. Um, There's a new Capra launch this week. Although you might struggle to play Spot the Difference using the naked eye, there's actually a fair bit different between this and the current version. So there's now a mixed wheel size option. There's also a higher modulus carbon option, kind of similar to that Santa Cruz C or CC sort of thing that higher modulus one is 300 grams lighter and you can now fit a bottle thanks to an asymmetrical linkage. Um, it's also got the longer lower slacker treatment and they say they've reworked kind of the stiffness and flex in the frame as well. Um, guys, what did you think of this one? i thought it would be more
1: different than it is not that all new bikes have to be different but this one they just kind of they just put the uh if it's a water bottle now and even the geometry didn't change a ton it's actually a little bit almost conservative now Like the reach didn't grow Uh, the seat tube lengths are a little bit long so yeah we'll kind of see we've got one coming in for uh, a summer field test i think it's on the way or in a boat or something um so yeah we'll we'll kind of see how it stacks up to the previous one and other bikes in this category
0: just to clarify, what's, what is the Capra, how much travel does it has have and what is it made for?
1: Uh, it's their kind of enduro, uh, aggressive bike, 170 millimeters of travel. I think there might be a travel difference between the Mullet and the uh, Full 29, but off the top of my head, I'm not sure what
0: that is. And is it one frame that does the different wheel sizes and there's different components or how does that work?
2: It's one front triangle and um, different rear end. So another thing I noticed about this bike is that they kind of launched it now, but you can only pre-order it. Um, It won't be shipping until, they say, late 2021, early 2022. Um, Do you think that's a bit strange to kind of launch a bike six months before anyone can kind of lay a finger on it?
3: I mean, it would be strange if if you were a dealer wholesale brand that had a ton of product on the floor. Well, you know, you'd be undermining your dealers, but if if you're YT and you've run out of capras, you just don't have stock. It's probably better to tell your fans like, "Hey, just wait. If you were going to consider a new bike from somebody that wasn't us cuz we don't have stock, here's why, this is what's coming. If you want to wait, save your money, like protect your wallet for us." Like I don't think that that's a crazy decision. Um I it as a consumer, I don't I feel like I will have moved on in 6 months, so I don't know how big of a, good of a like you know marketing is always the best when it's like here it is and you can buy it right now but like that for a spike but i think at this point demand is just outstripping supply so much you, they may as well f- try and freeze some people's money
2: yeah i kind of where else are you going to buy a bike at the moment right <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, you- as it's yt the the launch video probably will be a big talking point too did you guys sit through all 20 minutes of that one 20 I, minutes? I just
1: selectively like clicked forward to see what's happening. I couldn't stomach the whole thing. I was like, this is, it's, it's wild. I mean, it looks like it cost a lot of money and there was like a whole, they had actors and special effects and SWAT team people looking around. Like, I don't understand how these marketing budgets are going towards videos like that, but maybe there's avid bike video launch fans out
3: there. Well, compared to other of their like disruptive videos, I don't think this one's done as well um i will say i'm always a fan of when people try to try wild shit like hey that's cool try stuff have Mads mickelson in your in your video like all those things are cool um i did see somebody in the comments claim and that's the number that's kind of like floating around there is that like it costs them a million dollars to make and that
0: kind of hurts my heart (laughs) Do you guys have a favorite marketing video, and why is it the Santa Cruz-Briceland one with, like, the animation? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that one's pretty good. I think that one and that specialized one that also had some kind of, like, funny anim- animation in it, too. I do I, like the goofy, irreverent one that are well-produced. Like, that's good. I just feel like when you – I don't. this one just seems like – it's almost like watching a little – I don't understand how it's related to bikes. Like, they're riding the bikes, but it also is, like – it felt like it was taking itself seriously in a weird
2: way. Yeah, like I'd say less than 5% bike riding time, mm-hmm. if that. I yeah, like I feel the like original... they just feel like they have to always up the stakes and up the ante. And now we're at the point where like they feel like they have to have a Hollywood star in it, it has to have some wild concept and special effects and stuff. And I kind of feel like, yeah, it's lost its way maybe for me.
1: Off the top of my head, I can't remember who's riding for YT these days. But I'd rather just see some of those guys or girls just ripping around doing crazy stuff for like five minutes and be like, cool, there's a new bike. And then I would move on instead of being like...
3: But then you'd move on and we wouldn't be talking about it on the podcast. We probably wouldn't even have mentioned it on the podcast if it had just been a cool regular Shreddit.
1: Unless there was somebody like Braga doing the Shreddit. So just get really, really crazy good people to do Dylan
0: Stark. Dylan Stark does does yeah, jumps for them, it. I think. Does it?
1: Dylan, yeah, send Dylan out with a
3: VHS camera and he can put together a 20 minute video. I'll watch that. Yeah. Actually, that's a good point. I think if they just put Dylan Stark in charge of all of their marketing efforts, uh, we'd definitely be talking about it on the podcast. For, sure. <laughs> <Whatever happens laughs> for different reasons. Yes, it'd be great.
1: <laughs> Sponsored by Four Loco or something. It'd be yeah. sweet. <laughs>
2: Um, Next up, um, this is a bike that actually also had a pretty cool launch video. Uh, It's a specialised Kinevo SL. You you may remember the Levo SL that launched last year and what that bike is to the stump jumper. This is to the Enduro. So the result is an EMTB with 29 inch wheels, 170 millimeters of travel, and it weighs 40.9 pounds. So that's about eight pounds more than the regular Enduro, 11 pounds less than the full powered Kinevo. In short, it's kind of that kind of e-bike that's designed to have a bit less power and battery than the full-on Kinevo, but it should st- feel more like a regular bike when you get it to the top. Um, Kaz, you had a first ride on this one, and what did you make of it?
1: Yeah, it's a definitely an interesting bike in an interesting category. Like, I've spent a bunch of time in that Levo before. Levy's already cracking up. make fun of me for <laughs> e-bike cases. Is, <laughs>
0: is this the most
1: expensive test bike you've ever ridden? $15,000! Uh, but it has a motor, so, like, when you're comparing... I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say it's not expensive. It's crazy expensive. Yeah. I could never afford it. But like, it's not really apples to apples when you compare it to non-motorized ones because it a yeah. motor and a battery, which batteries are like a thousand bucks per battery.
0: So, so I, okay. I have a question here for you. You've obviously spent a ton of time on the normal non-motorized Enduro. And now we have this crazy thing an Enduro with a motor. When you're descending on these bikes, how different do they feel? This one feels better with the motor the heavier one
1: yeah because you don't notice the motor in this one like so the normal the levo their full-powered uh e-bike that one's like 50 pounds and you do notice that weight like you drop into a steep chute you go off a jump or something you can feel yourself kind of getting pulled and you have to like almost fight it but this one i feel like they got the weight like really good on it and it's low and Mm -hmm. it just feels like it and also the tune on that shock whatever they did there it feels super good
0: yeah compare it to the non-motorized bike though like okay Well, about yes, I mean, like, which one would you rather descend on? You got all day descending. Forget about how you're getting to the top. Yeah, I think that
1: this one could be. It'd be interesting to get the the non motorized one and this and just do some like timed lapse. But I think this one feels better to me, and I feel like it probably is because of that weight around the bottom bracket, just getting it to sit a little bit even more planted on the ground. Um, And 40 pounds it's not like it's hard to throw that around. You know, like you can hit jumps and things and feel really normal. Yeah.
3: I mean, a lot of us spend a lot of time in our formative years riding 40 pound bikes downhill, you know, like that was the norm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's probably feels pretty natural. That's probably the point that they need to get a lot of these bikes for them to have that, like, yeah, it's as good as a regular bike descending. Yeah. But I still
1: want all the power and all. And that was my kind of gripe with this when it just doesn't have an, enough power range and the motor is a little louder than the regular, than the Levo for me. So it's like, it's kind of loud, and it's a little slower. And so, like, if, you had a, if your buddy shows up on a Levo and you have this, he's going to destroy
3: you as far as speed goes. I was going to ask that. Like, compared, it always seems to be, like, e-bikes are things that people buy in groups, in riding groups. Like, one mm-hmm. person gets one, and then everybody gets an e-bike. But with this thing, you can't really... It seems like you can't really ride with your non-motorized friends, and you can't ride with the group of guys that all got an e-bike.
1: Yeah, it's accurate more... Or? I, I, Almost, I think you could ride with your non-motorized friends because they have this little mode that sets you select the amount of power in like 10% increments. Mm-hmm. So you could dial it into like, say you're riding like your pro body and he's equalized 20% mode. faster. Yeah, you could kind of like <laughs> yeah, Just it like up I like,
0: suggested.
1: Like, yeah, like Levy could ride with Nino and they could like equal. And Nino could
3: keep up. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> nice, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is a dumb. Bosch
1: ambassador now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this does not have a Bosch in it. But either, but yeah, it has that mode. But I think if you're going to ride with people with full power e-bikes... You would definitely have to work super hard, and they can go faster than you because this one's two times your power, and then the full power ones are four times your power.
0: Okay, so all the enduros. Which one would you have if it was your only bike, non-motorized SL or like full on? I, I would have non-motorized. I think. Yeah. Yeah, but
1: yeah, it's hard to like decide if you're already like throwing around fifteen grand to buy like motorized bikes i feel like you could just have a bunch of bikes and like i don't know yeah i don't i wouldn't choose this over the i don't know how it i'm not sure what the choice would be i feel like if you're shopping for an e-bike you're shopping for an e-bike if you're shopping for a regular bike you're going regular bike so like the regular so you, would really you cool.
3: choose would you choose the regular Knivo over the Kinevo sl the regular Kenevo. Sorry, the, I think I, like the full power? or Yeah, I'd take the
1: Levo. All their names are tricky. Because yeah, the Kenevo is probably kind of due for an update, too. But I'd pick the new Levo over the Kenevo SL just because when I ride that bike, it's faster. It makes me feel like I'm doing something different. Like, I do weirder rides. I go up weirder things. And then when I'm on the Kenevo
0: SL, I feel like it's a regular bike, but with a little extra boost. We're also getting to the point where, I mean, at first glance, like, if this thing was... 15 feet away from you, 20 feet away from you on the trail, you'd never know that this is an e-bike. Yeah, Lots of them you can tell by like the down tube that is one foot by one foot in diameter. But these yeah. things, <laughs> it looks like a mountain bike, doesn't it? I know.
1: And if they can make that motor quieter, this motor is louder because it's gear driven rather than belt driven. Like, those belt-driven ones that they use in the in the Levo is pretty much silent. Like, you could roll up on people and they don't even know you're on an e-bike. This one, when you pass them, it's like... <laughs> you,
0: Why does it use a different motor than their other ones, Kaz? Uh, it's smaller and lighter, so okay. they had to do the Back to the weight they thing. Do so, the it. SLs all use that lighter weight motor that also happens to be louder. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. Interesting.
2: All right. Do you think it's just a matter of time until, like, all e-bikes are kind of at that weight? Like, we're just waiting on the technology like the motors and the batteries to get lighter or you think there'll still be that distinction kind of five years down the line?
1: I think it might take a while. I feel like battery technology, as fast as it's progressing, it's hard to make those things light. Um,
0: so we'll see. I think if you look at other industries like the auto industry, batteries are what's holding things back there. And I mean, it's what's holding things back with electricity everywhere. And yeah, they're way ahead of us and they got way more money um, and they're still dealing with some limiting factors for sure.
3: I think I think there's probably a couple of pounds to come out of the current, like just to eke out of the current full power systems. Um, but yeah, any sort of like paradigm shifting, like eight pounds off the bike kind of things, we'll see them happen outside of the bike industry long before we see them hit the bike industry
2: cool um moving on then um we've had our first big bit of free ride drama of the year um always exciting (laughs) so good dark fest there's statements flying left and right um the the news basically is that the fest series is jettisoning dark fest it's not going to be part of the fest series anymore um so this is Sam Reynolds South African event um and it appears the rift has opened up over social media output and who can ride the event. It's crazy that it's happening being announced while Dark Fest is happening. Yeah, I mean I don't think I mean I don't think it's going to really affect things on the ground but like yeah. they yeah they timed it pretty um pretty well (laughs) um so fest said their statement said um sam reynolds has been running the event in a way that is going against the core values fest stands for fest series is a lot more than performance base it's about personalities a lifestyle a certain dedication to the art of riding bikes and building trails and things that are far more important than how many video views or likes a video gets on social media Sam responded, um, Unfortunately for free ride fans, the Fest series has implemented some new rules for their events, which include limitations on who we could and couldn't invite and controlling and limiting media output from the event. Since Dark Fest has always been about shredding big jumps, having an inclusive and diverse ride list, and sharing our good times with everyone through social media, we have mutually decided to go our own ways.
0: So, wait. Dark Fest and Fest are two different things?
2: They are now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's great. Like, how the, I mean, the whole thing
1: is so silly, and like the lifestyle part of it, and like you can only have like so many YouTube videos, or you're like not core, but you have to have some because you need to be sponsored still. But like, it's like the battle of there's like twelve of these guys that can actually hit these jumps, and they're just fighting amongst each other because they can't figure out how to make themselves feel cool. I don't know. I I mean, maybe there's some extra drama on the inside that I don't know about. But Sam's thing looks like it's going well. He's got crazy big jumps. I think like chaos is down there and uh Kate Edwards and a bunch of people that are ridiculous on bikes that I like to watch ride bikes. So I'm watching Sam's thing. I don't really care if the other free riders are staying core and hiding out in the woods and making jean jackets or something. I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think like Fest just wants their like they want this be totally like dark at the event and then they have their big like marquee eight minute thrash metal edit where everyone gets like a little segment in it and that's kind of all you get from the event but i don't know it seems much smarter to me to try and bring people into what's happening and build up the hype and and um, get people engaged throughout the whole thing um i mean you know we've just done that survey and we realize kind of how hard it is to make a living in mountain biking so like trying to stop someone from maximizing that for themselves and um, yeah just doesn't seem to make much sense to me
3: if any rider wants to send themselves over these like 100 foot plus gaps uh, and their choice is like do i try and commercialize this or do i just do this for the love uh, guys that is you are risking your life Get fucking paid, please.
0: <laughs> yeah, make if it I, worth it. <laughs> if I hit one of those jumps, I would post the video or photo from that every day for the rest of my life.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's a ridiculous feat that they should be like documenting instead of being like secret in the woods. Like, I mean, that's cool if you want to do a secret in the woods, but if you do it that way, don't put anything out. Like, yeah, if you want to be extra core, don't tell anybody. But if you like only tell some people, it just seems really silly. <laughs> like,
3: there's there's surely see some might things be we don't like, know. Ordering, ordering some donuts, and it's like, oh, would you like a cruller, sir, or a, uh, or a honey glaze? Well, let me tell you about the time I hit this gap.
0: <laughs> Everybody would know. <laughs>
2: um this isn't the end of it apparently fest is drafting another statement um they've <laughs> said that it should be with us later this week um hopefully clarifying their position um you might already have read it by the time this podcast comes out but um if not there's more to come don't worry i
3: will say that like some of the lead up to dark fest stuff with like very obvious sponsor plugs and like you know before we look at this big lip let me walk you through my bicycle blah 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 kind of stuff is a bit like eye so i don't know it's i have some i've got some patience for the idea of these things being pure or whatever i just don't think that it's realistic yeah i don't think so
1: i mean it costs money to make those big jumps yeah. and stuff unless all these free riders have fat trust funds and they don't need sponsorships i feel like they might want to earn some money since they do like four things a year that you actually see like that's yeah, another it's thing up. it's not like there's no like scheduled, it's not like world cup where you at least can see some riders six times a year. Some of these guys do rampage and that's it. And then they just disappeared. I don't know what they do, but Kaz is yeah. going to get beat up by a free rider. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're going to jump me. I'm going to just like <laughs> free riders is just take me out in the woods and, like we do stuff. We swear. We just don't post on the internet
2: um on to the racing um nove mesto was the venue for the latest round of the xc world cup and as it was the last chance for um olympic spots to earn olympic spots for your countries, the uh, racing was extra fierce some highlights for me definitely the the pigcock vanderpoel battle we saw that in the short track and in the race on sunday um pretty pretty awesome stuff and then luana lakonte again she was super dominant in the women's race that was really cool to see and um, did you guys catch this one Imagine
0: riding away from Vanderpool. Yeah, yeah Ridiculous. Really, really good. <laughs> I did. Wa- I did watch a bit of this one. I saw Nino crash. Nino wasn't having a good day. No, those roots. He needs to come train with you in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what he needs to do. But obviously, <laughs>
1: Pidcock is a boss. Yeah, yeah. His speed is ridiculous, and all those little like techie, greasy climbs and stuff. He's just like doing little hoppy, speedy things. He looks like cool. he's five feet tall next to Vanderpool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's what makes Vanderpool look taller. I looked it up. He's like six feet tall. He's not as tall as I thought, but that's because I see him against Pidcock and he's like, looks like a monster.
0: Did you guys see in the warm up pen, everybody was on their turbo trainers, just like working their butts off before the race. And Vanderpool is just standing there. Yeah, just, just by himself. Just completely still. He's <laughs> like, I don't even need to warm up. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. I don't think we're going to see either Pidcock or Vanderpool before the Olympics now, which is, a bit of a shame because they're back doing kind of road duties um but i think yeah tokyo is going to be one hell of a battle between those two for sure
3: It'll be wild should we talk a bit about that um that sram patent that was granted with a, for a direct mount derailleur yeah sure um
1: yeah it's something that they were granted a patent back it's like april 20th that we kind of just slipped through we don't have time to read every single patent every single day like sometimes but it uh basically it shows that they have a a derailleur that's basically a direct mount derailleur. It looks like it sits underneath the chainstay, more um, tucked away, out of harm's way. Potentially,
0: um, what is the what's the goal with the design here, Kaz? What's the what's the uh, idea? I think a lot everything of goals here.
3: Is everything here, total speculation. All we have is patent drawings. Yeah, and reading. I mean, I read and the patent, re- which yeah.
1: hurts my brain a little bit sometimes. But um, overall, it seems like the goal is to keep like keep the shifting nice and precise. You just have a stiffer interface so if you ever grab like a normal like a 12 speed derailleur and kind of grab it by the lower cage there's a lot of movement in there so this should keep everything stiffer it seems like
0: um yeah i think that's the overall it eliminates the Mm b-knuckle yeah it's a wholesale change of derailleur design and frame design as well too
1: yes although frame design doesn't really need to change a whole bunch because we've already seen the udh adopted so it appears that this would work on any frame that has a udh um it's udh compatible so there were people trying to say that this was you know kind of caused prices to go up by a crazy amount but pretty that much was, all the big brands already have udhs on
3: their bike because as a it, this, thing, opposite, it's not, it's yeah, this thing it's it's the opposite of price going up it's it's right. they've they've taken you already had to buy a rear dera- or a derailleur hanger as a brand now you just make you just buy this derailleur hanger
0: instead of another derailleur hanger and the derailleur cabal strikes again, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where is the gearbox that's going to save <laughs> everybody's rides? Yeah. There are definitely but those comments.
3: Like, yeah. But they, they've removed a part and made things simpler stronger. and more compatible and stronger. Different. I see. So, yeah.
1: And so, yeah, if you didn't want to run this derailleur on your bike, you could just run a regular derailleur, SRAM, Shimano, whoever, on a UDH derailleur At least that's what I can, I assume, based on reading this and looking at it. Um, do seats. Do we have any idea when we'll see this thing for sale,
0: when it's going to be available?
1: None at all. Um, SRAM had no comment, and I haven't seen anything out in the real world. There's been no, like, spy shots or anything. So, you know, it is just a patent. So sometimes things don't ever come to market. I'd assume this will eventually because it looks pretty cool. So hopefully it does. But, um, yeah, no details as far as when or where.
0: Do we also – do we have an idea if – I know this thing is patented – but is it also something like the XD freehub design is also patented? I don't know all the technical jargon, but other people use it. Brian, what's the term for that? Like free to yeah. use or... Yeah, they will Licenses. Well, which
3: That's is something. what they've done with the UDH, right? Yes. But they wouldn't have done that with their derailleur. They're not going to help other people make their core pro- component.
0: For sure. But I guess the reason that I ask that is if there is a... a change in frame design i guess does that mean down the road kaz you sort you might have answered this already but does that mean like hey my frame only accepts Sram's derailleur now or it can only do a shimano derailleur no i don't see that happening just like i said these it looks like you would just be able to put a udh on any
1: of these frames that work with this derailleur so you could just run whatever on the udh or if you wanted to switch to this derailleur system um, that seems like it would work again it's hard to tell from the drawings and things but but anyways, yeah, that's you know kind of newsworthy newsworthy because they were actually granted the patent for this. And some of the technical drawings kind of make a pretty clear illustration of what it could potentially look like. So that's why it was interesting and that's why it was on the homepage.
0: It's super interesting. All right, let's get on to questions for this podcast. Kaz, this first question, it's from Pac Lenny. This is on your Nuke Proof Giga review. He says, remember how Top Gear used to have the fastest lap leaderboard. He says he would love to see something similar on PB, climbing, agility, flat out cornering speed on the way down, how many bottles it can hold, of course. Um, We have thought about doing timed testing for our bikes before. There are a couple hitches with that include editors spread all around the world, so all of these bikes are going to be on different tracks um varying conditions too if you have a dry day and a wet day that can make a huge difference um i think regardless of all that it would still be interesting even if the times had asterisks beside them kaz would you ever be interested in doing something like that yeah i mean once the border opens if there was like a track
1: either here or in squamish that we'd you know take some bikes that we're interested about go and put down a time and see how it goes or even just have another rider that's like here's the bike right with the stig we have to get a stig for this and he just mm-hmm. rides it um yeah i think it's an interesting you know pseudoscience kind of thing just to see but like even in normal testing i do strava a bunch just to kind of see yeah. just for my own curiosity so i do have a lap that i regularly use but like you said so many things change but i will i will note in a review typically if i get some times that seem like they're
3: like if i was consistently faster on a bike than other ones it is pretty like so many variables that and like I think that's what we try and do with the with the field test when possible, because at least then it's the same people on the same track. It's as close as we can get to something that is worth looking at in terms of numbers, otherwise there's just you'd have to do like fifty runs in
0: yeah a, across just a huge amount of variables. It'd be yeah. a struggle and then what happens if you get a bike in It's a great bike, but for whatever reason the time ended up being you know. 10 or 15% off, maybe just you've had a bad week, you ate, you ate shit the week prior, you're not feeling it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just, I feel like with stuff like that, with hard answers like that... Mm-hmm. I think people could put too much emphasis on them. I'm more of a feeling guy than a correct answer guy. Yeah, it really touches <laughs> <with> your feelings. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, compared to cars, cars are a lot easier because you can go a set
1: speed, you can have the track is flat and so I think it works a lot better for that, but we do like to mess around with timing when we can and when it's when it makes sense.
0: Brian, you wanted us to do timing for a long time. Kasmer and I, we fought it for a while. Yeah, and now you've given up. Could yeah, it's happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. It's a variable that makes sense for sure. Mm-hmm. But I do
3: I agree with you guys that n- no matter how many caveats we put into these things, it is frustrating to see people then go like put so much stock into whatever, you know, the, these things don't matter. They do, they don't. Like honestly, the one bike getting being 6 seconds faster than another bike on whatever like, unless you've done a hundred laps of one and a hundred laps of the other in the identical conditions on whatever, like, it's just, I wouldn't what have
0: any confidence. But if it's only a 30 second course? Six seconds is a lot.
3: Okay, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> then I would say if you're six seconds off on a 30 second course,
0: you, you probably bad dabbed bad. a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I like with the timing, Cass? is sometimes it confirms, a lot of times actually, it confirms what we felt on the trails. It's interesting with this field test stuff, we do the timing last usually. Mm -hmm. um, And we'll ride the shit out of these bikes and keep a lot of the thoughts to ourselves in a little notebook. And then we look at our notes after we've done the timing. And a lot of times those bikes that feel slow have the slowest climbing times. And the bikes that feel faster than descents, guess what? They have the fastest descending time too. So let's get on to the next question, Kaz. This is on another one of your reviews. This is on the Knevo review. Knee Tracer Enduro says, when did it get Net acceptable?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> when, when did it get acceptable <laughs> for bikes to get heavy? By 2008, Giant Glory DH bike weighed 40 pounds. And that was considered heavy at the time, but I was a student at all I could afford. 30 pounds used to be considered the magic number. Okay, he says he'll give e-bikes a bit of tolerance as the motor does help. But still, top-ended bikes weigh over 30 pounds, and they're not inexpensive builds. I mean, if I had to guess, Kaz, off the top of my head, these modern bikes that we're riding today are a lot more reliable and a lot more capable than bikes were five years ago, seven years ago, when things were a little more weight-focused. What would you say?
1: Yeah, and I don't think they've gotten quite as heavy as he thinks. Like that that Giga that I reviewed, I think it was like thirty four pounds, which isn't light, but it's also a hundred and seventy millimeter, twenty nine inch wheeled bike. Um, Get remember, We have bigger wheels now, so if you're comparing twenty six inch wheels to twenty nine inch, they're going to be heavier. Um, we got dropper posts now. Not a lot of stuff breaks, so I'm
3: I'm good with a pound or two here or there if it makes them better. In two thousand eight. 40 pounds was not considered heavy for a no. downhill bike his that glory just didn't not weigh 40 true. pounds sorry the scales have
1: gotten more accurate we have digital yeah. scales because that was that glory was not glory. 40 <laughs> <pounds>. yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah with the yeah that bike wasn't 40 pounds so yeah i think bikes have gotten heavier but i, I don't think they're getting they're not going to just keep getting heavier and heavier and heavier i think it's kind of finding that balance and um i think if you are expecting you know we you're riding these enduro bikes like we used to ride downhill bikes and they need to do the same things They're there is some weight
0: that's necessary when was what what bike did you have last Kaz if you could think about it that you liked but they're like man this thing is too heavy like was it was there a budget bike that you reviewed recently or Uh, not specifically like travel and capability but you're like oh the weight really kind of wrecks the ride of this thing
1: yeah, I mean, that Privateer 161 I rode a while ago, that was a really heavy bike. Just when you have a frame that's super heavy, it's hard to get the bike into, like, what you, you know, a pedalable realm, I would say. Um,
0: what about the Norco Shore?
1: Yeah, no, the Norco was really heavy, too. That's another one. Yeah, it was, that was really heavy. I forgot about that. I just erased it from my brain. Um, yeah, that's another one that I wouldn't mind a lighter version of that. So, yeah, I do, in my mind, there are bikes that, for me, would be too heavy. But some people, I mean, some of it goes th- to your weight. You know, if you're a 200-pound guy, you uh, 35 pound 38 pound bike isn't really that big of a deal compared if you're 160 No, but yeah I, but i also have i think i have a bike coming from last maybe for review that they say is the lightest enduro frame on the market so we'll see if light bikes are better
0: what is really light is it like 2300 grams is that really light
1: i, I think they say you can build it up like sub 30 pounds for like a 160 bike yeah yeah we'll see but scott, uh, has, scott has to have a
3: sub 30 pound
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that Scott yeah. Gambler I rode, yeah. that downhill bike. That was like 34 pounds.
3: It was so fun. Yeah. Like,
1: there is something about if you get a light downhill bike with heavy tires on it and good suspension, it's pretty amazing. So um, did we answer his question? I got lost. Either way, I think bikes have gotten heavier,
3: but I think it's been worth it. Didn't, but I'm not opposed to light bikes. It didn't get acceptable for bikes to get heavy. It's right. that our, what we expect of our smaller bikes got more aggressive.
1: Yeah. I'm also not going to call a bike out for being 34 pounds when it's meant to do
0: pretty wild riding. So. I will. That's too heavy. You can. I know. <laughs> All right. We have another question about trail building. So you guys remember the article, uh, Christina did a video about uh, things that trail builders hate to see. Uh, so he says... On your trail building article, kick the hornet's nest that's always been there. The consistent showing of mountain bikers in media posts actively showing exactly what you have all highlighted as things that are bad for trails. So he's talking about us posting videos and photos of skids and berms blowing up, things like that. What is PB's take on this, he asks? Do you think you might play a role in this behavior? Mountain biking has been rooted in an anti-biking niche culture kind of riding. There's now a drastic shift in access and demographics as more and more riders take up the sports. Take up the sport. Just one sport, he says. Uh, Basically, he's asking us uh, if we've played a role in sort of encouraging the skidding and the berms blowing up that we see in the videos. We probably
3: have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think he's calling me out. (laughs) uh (laughs) I mean... Uh
3: Well, maybe yeah. he gets a pass because he also doesn't like berms.
1: Yeah, he's skidding on flat at, turns. So that's at acceptable. Least, yeah, at least he's
3: <laughs> consistent.
1: <laughs> I'm sure that pink bike does play a role in this, but I also feel that if you're mountain biking in a place designed for mountain biking, that's how it goes. Like if you, if we were putting videos up of someone running hikers off the trail and just like skidding through a wilderness, you know, they're or not supposed to be skating. there. Like the I pro make sure riders yeah, nobody
0: post those videos, guys. <laughs> the yeah. riders
3: you see <laughs> blowing up berms in their videos on the Pink Bike homepage are not grabbing a fistful of brake
0: to do it, other than Mike Levy. <laughs> <laughs> <True>. <laughs> yeah. Four finger braking into the turn. <laughs> Biking is fun and you just go out there, have fun. If you cause damage, just fix your damage. But it's it's not the end of the world that I'm gonna skid no matter what anybody says. You should too, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Skids are fun. Yeah. Okay, and our last thing here, this is from JDFF. This is on your Kinevo review again, Kaz. He says, there's a walk mode to assist you on pushing your e-bike. Kaz, does that $15,000 Kinevo has a walk mode? I am not aware of this. Dead serious. Yeah. That's, yes, it has a walk mode. <laughs> so you, uh, there's a button you. Push. All the
1: bikes have a yeah, walk mode. You, all of them have yeah. it. They've I've never heard it. of this in my life. If they, they had it, it on the crazy. one that you
0: rode, Levy. You
1: even wrote about it, I think, in your Heckler thing. Did I remember?
0: Yeah, I think so. You should have. You had it on there. But yes, you they don't, have, you they don't have think it it's weird that these bikes with motors have walk
1: modes? Why can't you just? No, push because it? have you ever gotten off a climb that's crazy steep? No, you would never. The bike, bike has a motor. <laughs>
2: right gets so if up you get all off the
1: climbs that, yeah <laughs> but if you did get off that that climb is going to be super steep and when you're pushing a 50 pound bike up it kind of sucks so you just push the little button and it gives you a little bit of assistance to push it to the place where you can get back on
3: it's honestly one of those things that sounds stupid and then the one time you need you're like oh yeah that makes sense
1: yeah i use it regularly cuz i try dumb things and i get off and I'm like oh, regularly I'm yeah, yeah usually jump ride when we can e e-bikes all the time yeah <laughs> So like once a week I'm using a walk mode if I try to move and can't get it, and then like you can ride ride up like rock slabs and stuff
0: that you would not normally think you could ride up. I it sounds stupid, but everybody tell me in the comments how wrong I am that e yeah. bikes have walk modes. It You're sounds wrong. silly. You are wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of e bikes, let's move on to our talk about some of the worst bike buying mistakes that you can make. <laughs> I'm just not joking, bad. everybody. I'm only... That was not bad. That was a good segue. <laughs> good segue. So I feel like we have the ideal host for this episode, and not only because I constantly buy dumb stuff, but because Casmer and I have both wor- worked in bike shops for over a decade. So we've seen some people buy some dumb shit, and we know what you should and shouldn't do. And I know that you could spend your money on all sorts of dumb parts, but today we're going to talk about complete bikes only. First, we'll talk about some advice for buying a new bike, if you can actually find one of those out there. And then we'll talk about what to look for when buying a used bike, like how many Xboxes you should trade for the three-year-old Nomad or whatever you have. So let's first put ourselves into this bike buying mindset. Brian, you saved up all your pink tokens you're ready to go out and pull a trigger on a bike that has way too much travel for your needs. Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> what are your concerns? What are your worries? What are you thinking about? Are, what are my concerns and my worries, or or for the like the people? Both. I, I mean they it could be the, it could be close to the same. Oh, people should not do what I do. Oh, <laughs> that's not the right thing at all. Um. Well, okay. Let me let me ask you this to start off. Let me put it this way. Should you just simply spend as much as you can and get the best bike that you can? Uh, yeah. every once in a while,
3: like I ask, I ask industry people like what would what they would buy if they got blackballed from the industry today? I think maybe there was even a podcast about this. But I ask a lot of people like, what would you buy? Like if you got blackballed, you you got another job, made the same money, but you had to go and buy something. Like you're an industry person, but you know you know nobody wants to give you anything. On a discount anymore and you have to buy new full full price new nothing on sale what would you buy and it's shocking the number of them that say i'd buy the same bike i have today i would go out and spend full pop on whatever you know s works level of of bike because i've spent my entire life and career being good at the sport getting good and That's where all my, you know, this is my thing. So I would have a shittier car and I would just spend the money it took to get the bike I need, the bike I want. Um, And I think if that's you, that's fine. I think that's good. Like, it's, bikes are expensive, but there's not that many other mechanical sports where you can buy the same thing as the top riders in the world or racers in the world and have it, like, you know, you can't go and buy an F1 car or, you know, a $150,000 motorcycle or whatever else. So, yeah, why not? Why not? If you want to go and spend as much as you can afford, that's fine.
0: So, I think I'm going to counter that. Definitely, if you want to spend as much mm-hmm. as you can, it's a pretty cool sport and mm-hmm. the expensive bikes are pretty neat. Go out and do it. It's your money. Do whatever, do whatever the heck you want. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, though, and just getting back recently from riding all those value bikes. Mm-hmm. it's crazy what you can get now for your money if you choose the right bike and also realize that if you're not spending a whole ton of money, you're probably also going to have to spend a little bit of extra money on top of the money that you just spent.
3: The other half of that question that of people I ask, the vast majority of them say they would they would spend sort of between 3 and 5k.
0: Is, on a single mountain bike? Is that, after that, is that where we think you get diminishing returns? I th- In USD, I think that, I personally
3: think if I was going to, if I had no more bikes, blackballed from the industry, I think I would spend, yeah, between 4 and 5k on a, on a, on a trail bike. The question for me would be, how much do I care about weight? Am I going to carbon? You don't or am care I, if
0: you're spending... Yeah. You know, three five thousand dollars.
3: Well, if you spend, if you do a five grand trail bike, you can buy one that has really nice parts and an aluminum frame, or slightly less less nice
0: parts and a carbon frame. Are you? Is are people buying for weight at five grand? Though I don't think they are. But I think I might, you're buying the I might bike buy you for want.
3: Potential future weight too. Yeah. You know, like it's something you can throw some parts at here and there, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think you're buying a, for weight at five grand for sure. Get out of Get out of your ivory tower. For sure, you're buying <laughs> for I,
0: five grand. I think it's we just see so extent, many but. trail bikes and stuff. We we we're always in like the trail bike enduro bike mindset. And if you're spending five grand on a trail or an enduro bike, weight isn't really. I th- you should be thinking about suspension traits mm-hmm. and yep. that kind of stuff more than than weight. I think. Casimir, um, mm-hmm. be be the deal breaker here for us should people just spend as much as they can or, or, or after, I don't know, four or 5k, does it really make a difference?
1: Um, yeah, I don't think you need to spend as much as you can. Like getting the top of the line doesn't really matter. Like the S or the difference between the S works build. let's use specialized for an example. Cause they always have the tend to have the most expensive one. It seems like, cause they have their separate whole S works thing, but there's usually like a thousand or $2,000 difference between that $10,000 bike and $8,000 bike. And on the trail, it doesn't matter at all. But I think that there is a point around that, yeah, like we're saying kind of like that 5,000 range, even bikes have gotten more expensive just this Mm -hmm. past year. So I think 6,000 now, but past that, I do think that it is diminishing returns. You do get lighter, maybe nicer stuff, but it's not like a drastic night and day difference compared to like taking one of those budget um, full suspension bikes versus, you know, a 5,000, $6,000 one. Right, right.
0: Okay. Well, let's move away from price. Let's talk about travel. James, if you were going to go out and get yourself a new mountain bike, are you thinking you just want to get as much travel as you can? Or are you following that old, oh. should learn on a hardtail, less travel <laughs> kind of thing?
2: Well, I hope I'm a bit past the learning on a hardtail phase now. I mean, i right. been at like this for 10 years. But um, I mean, I started on a hardtail. I think most people do, don't they? But for me, that was kind of budgetary more than, than thinking through the decision. Um, I think um, I would go something along the lines of slightly more travel than you would expect to need for my local trails kind of thing. So like if my local trails is like suitable for maybe a 140 bike, I might go to a 160 and then I've got the option, like if I want to do a day of uplifting at the bike park or maybe go to the Alps for a week in the summer, something like that, like it can still do that. It's not the perfect bike for it, but if I only buy one bike, it's not like ridiculously overgunned for my local trails, but equally it can do that that kind of that little bit extra on top if I need it to at some point.
0: Right. I think my hot tip for this would be just look at what your people are riding. Look at how much travel your friends have, uh, local riders, the kind of riding that you want to do. Just look at the bikes that are being used for that and, and that'll tell you how much travel you probably roundabouts should have. I would go so far as to say the
3: travel number doesn't define the bike the way it used to, mm-hmm. um, I'd be you know, getting on getting on um like a Norco optic or something like that with a pretty aggressive angles, and yeah, like an, an optic for what you're just dis- like describing there, James is like, it would be pretty amazing. It's like what is it, one twenty five, one forty? Mm-hmm. Like that's a sm- it's a small bike, but you would, you know you might get rattled around a little bit in the park, um, but um Alan Crisp was riding his in the park all last last year and had a great time and and put the boots to me <laughs> and um and yeah, they'd be fine in the Alps and
0: whatever the geometry would make it fine moral of the story don't get stuck on the travel, James, would you get that bike from your local bike shop or would you get it through mail
2: order um I think like thinking in my head about like a a sort of general budget I'd be working on, like I'd be pretty silly not to go mail order. I think, um, I think that that gap is narrowing between, um, like what you used to get mail order versus bike shopper. Now, like I think the price is creeping up on those mail order bikes, but I still think like as a value proposition for like, you know, I'm talking about 140 mil aluminium trail bike. Like I still think mail order is the way to go for me personally.
3: is that what you recommend to your interested in the sport friends
2: as in like just getting into the sport yeah somebody's seen
3: some youtube videos and is like hey james you're my bike guy tell me what to buy what would you recommend them do
2: um yeah it's tough um like i think for them obviously local bike shop makes maybe a bit more sense you know like they're going to be there for um, repairs and maintenance and... Because um,
3: otherwise you're going to get stuck
2: doing it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you told I'm them I'm not the guy to go to for that. I'm just going to send straight to the bike shop. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, just that kind of level of support you get from a bike shop, um, probably more valuable to them, I guess. Yeah. I would say that
0: it's impossible to ignore some of the prices of these mail order bikes. But I think you'd be foolish to ignore your bike shop as well before you pull a trigger on mail order bike mail order anything go down to your bike shop and just give them a chance like even if you don't think they can match the price don't go down there with intentions of trying to get them to beat or match it but they might have a bike that's a year old that makes a lot of sense they might have some bikes on sale although probably not right right now now. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, but bottom line give the bike shop a chance i've also seen bike shops that offer maintenance programs including like if you bought your bike from the shop new for as long as you own the bike you get free maintenance free labor like that's crazy and it's well worth uh doing that likely
3: let's uh, just a sidebar why do you guys think that those mail order prices are creeping up even though by the nature of of a direct-to-consumer model there's there are less middlemen so there should be less people taking margin what what do you think's causing that
2: it begins with a b for the uk <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so for us obviously brexit is um is a big one Um i think generally we're seeing like just prices of everything kind of going up at the moment um and Yeah, I don't know, maybe um, like coming into the market, your YT's and and your Canyons were maybe charging a bit below what was sustainable to kind of get that market footprint and and get the the brand out there. And now they're having to raise the prices to kind of compensate for that a bit.
3: Well, YT specifically, I think, is making a lot nicer bikes than when they first started. Like those sort of semi-catalog direct-to-consumer bikes early on were not in the same league as what they're playing with now so i'm sure the parts are like the bikes are costing them more
1: i think you're seeing other also the trickle it's not always necessarily that the consumer direct bikes are getting more expensive Mm -hmm. which they are but also some of the uh, bike shop brands their prices are getting more competitive they're i think they're paying a little more attention to some of their builds and what they can get at a certain price point in order to at least compete in a little bit uh in around with the
3: i know some i know some like dealer wholesale brands are taking margin hits like they're getting taking less margin now, and mm-hmm. asking shops to take less margin, um, a little bit. So even though the overall prices are going up because everything's getting more expensive, those two entities are like manufacturer, distributor, dealer are all taking a little bit less to
0: counter to to battle with. With sounds like everybody's yeah. losing. Prices are going up. Everybody's getting less. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, and, no. And to anybody that listening that thinks that the. Uh, like the the bike shops are making a ton of money off selling you that bike off the floor. The margins are pretty low. It's not like a it's less. It's than not thirty marked, points on a bike. Yeah,
3: yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, it's it's between twenty five and forty five. What bike?
1: Not on a what high bikes end bike. are Where you selling? At? Yeah, hmm? you sell the kids' on, bikes, maybe.
3: On but. yeah, not on high. The, the cheaper the bike, the bigger the margin. Yes. Yeah, but like yeah. those the fifteen thousand dollars S works, they're actually not making. seven grand
1: for selling you that off they're making eight dollars on that bike by the time (laughs) they sell it
3: (laughs) (laughs) because they had to throw in so many extra things i don't know a lot of door i don't know a lot of full pop uh s works bikes that go out the door at msrp i don't think that happens that much
1: yeah i don't either so yeah so even though they're crazy expensive they the margins aren't there aren't there so um yeah i don't think anyone's getting super rich maybe this year someone's getting super rich but Some people are getting super rich. Absolutely. Some people are getting super rich. The people
0: buying all those $15,000 Knievo SLs. (laughs) I know. Somebody. Yeah. And then reselling them on eBay for more. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about wheel size for a minute. You're getting a mountain bike. You're getting a new mountain bike. Why does it have 26-inch wheels? (laughs) because <laughs> you stumbled into a used bike pawn shop because it's all backup. you can find because <laughs> <laughs> i got this two six for life tattoo on my face yeah, like, yeah. no going back now i want to enter a test series
2: it's the only bike they'll let me enter on so. <laughs> Oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> gotta be core
0: <laughs> okay guys trail bikes are you are you thinking mullets are you thinking big wheels what are you thinking and does it come down to Riding style, rider height, like Brian, you're quite a bit shorter than Casimir. Are you looking for small wheels specifically? Depends on the
3: on the kind of riding. Like uh, up to, like I'd maybe look at a mullet for an enduro-ish bike. Um, I buzz, I, I'm on the 29er Madonna right now and I, I buzz a little bit here and there. At 5.7, yeah, I'd, I'd consider a mixed wheel size bike. Uh, for some things but for on a cross country or, or a tra- regular trail bike
1: no i think i'd be more likely to go mullet for a trail bike than i would for an enduro bike since i know they fit, I fit them on the enduro yeah. bike so with that like a, a enduro bike i would typically have the idea of racing it a little bit so i want to mm. be as fast as possible so 29 inch front and rear but like a trail bike something i might just mess around with goof off do more jumps and random just kind of playing around i think i'd be more likely to, to consider a mullet i don't think it's the be all end all. But if that was an option, I wouldn't be opposed to it. So yeah, like a 150 mil mullet bike could be kind of fun. Do you guys,
0: do you guys recommend people buy the bike that makes the most sense? You know, like Brian, I'm looking at you here or maybe the bike that you want, I guess, I guess the reason that I'm asking is, I mean, we see lots of people on bikes that maybe aren't the best bike for the terrain and the trail that they're riding. But that's the bike that they want. And I think those people buy the bike with their heart. You know, that's, they saw this bike in a video and that's the one they want.
3: And it inspired them. And, you know, the best, I think the best parallel, it reminds me of bike shop days when the number of people who would come in and would buy a, like, a surly long haul trucker, uh, like, touring bike, and get it fully kitted out it'd be like the slowest heaviest bike imaginable and then only commute on it and they would they would buy that bike with the dream of one one year i'm gonna quit my job and i'm gonna ride down to argentina and that was their like you know they had that they had that inspirational whether it's a goal, whether they actually plan to do it or not, but like, that was the aesthetic. That was the, like, that's what they identified. That's what like. I like it. The bike as a freedom machine was for them. Yeah. And like, it, sometimes it frustrated me because it's like, you're not going to go to fucking Argentina, dude. You're an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? You've got three kids. Yeah. You going anywhere. Right. Yeah. It could you happen. Might someday, though. but by then maybe you should have another bike because it's going to be in 15 years, you know? Yeah. So like, I, No. Uh, I'm torn on this one because I want to say, "Go with your heart," but it also really frustrated me when people were buying against their best, their like obvious best interests in what they were going to do most of the time.
0: What really that really boils down to the old: should you buy? Should you buy a bike for the strengths or the weaknesses mm-hmm. argument? You know,
3: elaborate on that because you've talked about that before.
0: Yeah, like so, if you live somewhere where you have amazing descending trails and all your buddies just dis- that's their main focus and you've grown up riding downhill bikes and your main focus is descending and going fast, not climbing. Let's just assume you're not a very good climber. I think that's fair, mm-hmm. Kaz. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're you are prob- not a very good climber. I agree. <laughs> you're probably going to buy a bike that makes you feel good on the descents because that's what you focus on. But in some ways, I think there's a, an argument to be made to buy a bike that's a good climber, not specifically <laughs> this is the worst a, argument. <laughs> no, no, no. Just hear me out. Not specifically a climber's bike. Like you wouldn't go buy an XC race bike, but you might buy an enduro bike that climbs better than one that's just like a big squishy thing with you know no any squat, and it's just all about maximum traction. You know what I'm saying? It's still an enduro bike, but the bike that you've bought helps you. With your weaknesses, Kaz, like you're riding an e-bike, it's got a motor, it helps you with your fitness, you know, <laughs> you, you, buy, you buy an enduro bike that kind of climbs okay because you're not very good at it. Why not just get good at the
1: one that doesn't climb as well and then
0: have a better bike for descending? For sure, I agree with that. But people don't ride like that. People when people go riding, if they're not a professional rider, people ride their bikes how they want to ride their bikes. You ride your bike to feel good, to go out and have fun. You do the things that you're good at. You know what I'm saying? I definitely, I have two bikes right now. And one of them is way underbiked
3: and the other is way overbiked. Perfect. And and each one of them makes me happy for different reasons, even when I ride them on the same trails. So, I don't know.
0: Kaz, it's you it, it sounds like Kaz doesn't agree with me. It just always seems strange. you're like
1: so you're you're in this hypothetical scenario. somebody is in a place that has tons of good downhill riding, and then you're telling them to buy a bike that's better at climbing than descending, like why not put the best bike suited for going down yeah. and then just work on their skills climbing and they'll be fine. Like I don't well, think they need to
0: sacrifice well let's the, why don't we flip it? Why don't we flip it the The descending trails aren't that good, and but you happen to be a good descender, yeah. The
1: sending girls aren't
0: that good. <laughs> <laughs> this is so I confusing guess. to me. I'm
1: like, why don't you just get the right bike?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I agree. The right one. <laughs> I yeah, I agree. Okay, well let's let's look at it like this, Kaz. Let's say you're not a good climber, you're a really good descender. So you get a trail bike that is a really good climber. Let's what's a trail bike that's a really good climber, Kaz? Regular stump jumper. Regular, Regular stump jumper. Stump jumper. Instead of, you know, a frickin' Stump Jumper Evo. Because you're good enough that you don't need a Stump Jumper Evo. You could easily keep up with your friends. You could easily ride all the things. You don't need an Evo. Sure, you might go a little faster, but you're getting more from your ride because you've got the regular Stump Jumper. Does that, Brian, does that make any sense? It's a hard argument for somebody who lives in Bellingham to, like, get on board with.
3: I get it. Like, I, you know... I've definitely thought about like, do I want, am I going to have more fun on a ride when I have a bike that caters to my weaknesses versus caters to my strengths? And yeah, it's, you know, one of my bikes caters to my weaknesses and one of my bikes caters to my strengths, but, um, I enjoy them for different reasons. So I don't know what to recommend people.
1: I think it's because I'm so well-rounded I get confused, Levy. Like, I'm pretty
3: equally good
1: at going up and down, so I don't know which bike I would buy. I just, it's a head-scratcher. Equally <laughs>
3: can we, mediocre. Can we, go, can we go back to the, like, cool brand, cool brand or bang for your buck kind of? Yeah. Like, I think we got, because that was, I'm interested in what you guys, like, do you go with your heart or your head? Do you go by? do you recommend people go with what grabs them? Yes. Or, like, what they're, or what they're, like, you know, they've watched World Cup, Racing, so they're like, yeah, high pivot bikes. That's the way, you know. I'm, I'm all in. Like they've been winning on the World Cup. It's for me. I'm inspired. One day, I'm gonna be
0: that fast. It obviously depends on the person. Somebody like myself, who's had lots of bikes. Uh, maybe you're not even in the industry, but maybe you just get a new bike every year. And there's lots of people that get new bikes every year. Maybe not currently. <laughs> um, I think for a lot of those people, they want something that's interesting. So I think for me, an example would be that pole, the pole, like there's lots of 120 mil bikes out there, but that pole is interesting. It's made differently, you know? And for me, I think that has some value. I think, especially if it, it's not just that it looks different or is made different. That's definitely part of it, but that it acts different on the trail. If something has a different trait to it, then it's interesting,
3: is How that, does every podcast become a thing where Levy tells people to buy Trust Forks? I
2: know, yeah, buy <laughs> I Trust Forks. Didn't even forks. get there yet. <laughs> Give me ten minutes. It's not just because you're like a bike reviewer, though, and like. Yes, you've ridden exactly. so many regular bikes that like they're the bikes that stick out for you whereas for most people like i think i've said on the podcast before that like, i get a new bike maybe every two or three years and every time i get a new bike like the technology has moved on and geometry and all that has moved on that every bike feels really there's something new in there for me and a new experience and, and it's different and it's it's better um so I don't feel the need to then then go, I'll get the the weird current thing. Like just the current thing is enough for me to be like, this is this feels different and this feels cool. It's a new experience.
0: Okay, Kaz, you and I, we've we worked in shops for more than a decade. We've seen some we've seen some interesting purchasing decisions. I think one that always gets me is the person who thinks that the new bike is gonna give them their professional racing license. Like they're going from Riding twice a week, being okay, you know, having fun to assuming that this $6,000 new S-Work something or $10,000 S-Work something is going to make them a pro. Have you seen that?
1: Definitely seen that. I think the one thing that hurts my heart sometimes is when the person comes in and they want to buy that highest end bike, but then they want you to put slick tires on it and then the mirror on it and then like the rack. And then you just start being like, you, you just bought a mountain bike and this is not, <laughs> this is like the fastest gravel path commuter thing ever but not get-
0: are you are you calling out brian with hookworms on his madonna <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> listen it was just it was just for getting to the store guys
0: <laughs> yeah it was for
3: jibbing in town i, I only ride go. my madonna in the skate park guys mm-hmm. yeah but in
1: some ways those are the bike shop's dream customer because that bike doesn't usually have too many problems it usually comes in very regularly for all of its maintenance so it's a dream customer, but to see those kind of bikes not being used to their full potential is definitely a little bit of a, uh, I, I don't like it as much, but yeah, I've seen all kinds of weird things, but that's the one that sticks out. There's always a couple of customers that would do that each year, just buy a crazy fancy bike and use it for what it's not intended for.
0: Yeah. one One point that's a bit close to my heart is buying the bike instead of the bike shop. And so what I mean by that is buying your bike from some bike shop that either isn't a good bike shop or treats you like shit just because the bike is on sale or, I mean, maybe it is the bike that you wanted, but one thing you have to remember is when you're buying a new bike, especially if it's only, you know, you live in a town where there's only one or two bike shops, you're starting a relationship with that bike shop and you're going to be going in and out of their lots, probably, uh, for parts and all sorts of help and stuff. And I think you want... You you're buying, not just the bike, but you're sort of beginning a relationship with the bike shop to get Especially all the Especially Where guys.
3: where you're paying, you know, whatever ten percent more, you want that ten percent than what you could get in a comparable bike direct. You'd like that ten percent to go to people who are rad, hopefully are you know contributing to the trail scene and and fostering mountain biking in your community and will help you long term. Yeah. Unless you're just
1: buying the bike that catches your eye as soon as you step through the door and you want to pay with it in cash that you just happen to have from selling some uh things. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had to have one night I'll tell this story because it's a good story. I just remembered about people spending a lot of money on bikes that they don't have any idea about. But it was like late night I was starting to close the shop up. This dude comes in and he sees like a I think it was an enduro like a really high end enduro and he's like I want that one. I was like you want to test ride it? No, nah, I'm good. You sure? Yeah. I'll pay cash and I was like okay we can do this and he just takes out a fat wad of cash like six grand seven grand in tens and just starts counting it out on the counter so like the counter just soon full of stacks of like ten dollar bills and like obviously the guy smells like weed because it was like grow season and he had like obviously just unloaded his weed um it's shipment of weed or whatever you call it and then so I count the cash the cash is all there he takes the bike out I go help him load it in the back of his truck and this is when I realized that he must have like a Decent size grew up because there's just like the shake in the back of the uh, the truck bed is like still there. It just smelled insane. And this is before weed was legal. So he had like sold, he was just basically like, I don't know if that counts as money laundering or just turning your cash into a, a different asset, but that was a good
3: sale.
0: <laughs> I i have my own bike shop drug story too. <laughs> Every single
3: bike shop employee has sold yeah mountain bikes to drug dealers, of course. Yes,
1: yes. That was my favorite <laughs> night though, because
0: like it was just a slow day, and then he just like threw down and I was like, that works. <laughs> We had this this little sketchy guy come in, very similar story, Kaz. He didn't really want to ride the bike around. I think I got him to test ride the bike, and I tell you, I was like three feet away from this guy the entire. I was ready to grab him. He took you profiled a, him. Is what you're saying? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's true. So this guy's riding around on it's like some four thousand dollar Cannondale Gemini. Back when I had a Manitou uh, Travis on the front, I think. It was like a toothpaste green color front triangle. Anyways, he buys this bike. It's a lot of money. He pays with cash. He gets like a lot of like weird pieces of gear with it too. Like some road bike jerseys, like a weird helmet, like some other stuff he doesn't need or understand, but he really wanted it. And then he left. He took his bike and he left. And that was like an hour before closing. And so a little later on we're, we're closing up and I find a Camelback in the corner in the shop, he had taken his Camelback off that he owned before he came in. He had taken it off to like try on jerseys and stuff, and he'd forgotten it on the floor. So I opened it up, of course. There's 10 grand in cash inside, all $100 bills, and a big Ziploc bag full of tiny Ziploc bags full of powder and little crystals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what he was up to. He might have been a drug dealer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is medicine. <laughs> And, of course, there's all the other mistakes that people make, the usual mistakes, buying the wrong size because it's on sale, uh, or, you know, they just want the color of bike that they want, but it's the wrong bike or the wrong size or too much travel, not enough travel, all the usuals. Do you...
3: Hmm. I don't know. Buying a bike for color or brand doesn't seem... Like, it's easy to, like, kind of
0: giggle at it, but we all do it. Well, you... Yeah, I think you have a good point, actually, because... Let's just pick any brand, like Specialized or Santa Cruz or whatever. If you're spending four grand or five grand and you want a trail bike, as long as it's the right size, it's not like you're getting a shitty bike, are you? And like,
3: yeah, if you just, you know, you you just spent five grand on something, like why not get the one where you like what it looks like and the brand speaks to you? I don't, I don't really have an issue with that. I agree. It's their their job to appeal to you. It's literally their job is to appeal to you. So why not get the one that appeals to you?
0: Yeah, and I think that is the bottom line probably at the end of the day. Like the bikes, if you're not a professional racer, these bikes are just toys for fun and you should just get whatever the heck you want. I just remembered,
3: you asked before about what was the worst buying, non-bike buying decision, but I just remembered the worst bike purchase thing I've ever done. Oh. And it was... I, I did it. It was exactly this. It was, I, I went with my heart rather than my head and I, I had bought a a 2001 Brody A-Ball and shockingly, that's not, that's not the the part that I, I made a mistake on because I immediately broke that frame, um, and then got a Banshee Scream. And when I got the Banshee Scream, I took the perfectly good, um, the uh, Marzoki Shiver, which was an awesome fork uh, for the time. And I sold it to purchase a Stratos S7. Oh. <laughs> because it was silver. It looked really sick. Um, I read a, some positive stuff about it, I think in MBA, maybe even by RC. Yeah, oh. <laughs> they like that fork in there. And yeah, honestly, it might have been RC. This is this. In my entire career has been a long play to get revenge on him for that one, <laughs> for that one <laughs> article. But that was the worst fork in existence. It like I immediately had to zip tie rags to the side of it just because every single ride it blew its seals. Like, do we have to trade worst fork stories? I did have a zizix. Okay, no, no, you probably <laughs> win. The zizix was probably worse, but the fact that I traded my shiver for for this. Friggin' S seven,
0: not a good move. No, That's it was a the move, move kind of, yeah. with your with your heart and yes. not your brain. Yes. Okay, let's end this podcast with comment gold. This one is from MTB A eleven day MTB A eleven day. Oh, this is on the Pink bike AI commentator article. He says lots of self restraint that bot must have. No mention of a session anywhere. There were no session comments no. from the Yeah,
1: AM. I haven't looked in a while. I bet yeah. by now he's talking about sessions. There's a I sick
2: bikes so. comment now. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Finally generated one of them. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Pink bike user Rhett Swen made this comment on Vanderpool's bike check. Vanderpool's riding Shimano brakes, and sense says so he says, how can he win with that Shimano wandering bite point? <laughs> but if you don't know, on our all of our field test videos, there were some complaints for me about Shimano wandering bite points and all of the comments, well, a lot of the comments ended up being about that issue. So that's where that's from. And our last comment, Gold, this is from the Rafa Teases Mountain Bike Clothing press release. Pascal Kristen says, I hope the colors match my new Knievel SL. <laughs> And sarcasm. (laughs) Not (laughs) to do. All right, everybody. If you've bought bikes and gear before, let us know in the comments before, what's some good bike buying advice and what's the worst decision you've made when buying a new bike?